You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is the sermon recording from this week's service, but first, here are the readings. Our first reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, taken from chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Maker, who is unseen. Then your Maker, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they will, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Creator knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. You'll have to take it um, that the reading, the second reading comes from the book of Micah, chapter six. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before with burnt offerings? with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. This is the word of God. Our gospel reading is taken from Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for the chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will God keep putting them off? I tell you, God will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of humanity comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. 
You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. And now for this week's sermon. Temptations. Is there trouble anywhere? If you listen to the news and we hear of disasters and strife, hardship and wars all around the world, maybe particularly at the moment in the Middle East, even perhaps problems in our own country, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, who taught us to include in our prayers the words, give us this day our daily bread. Be with each one of us as we hear the words of scripture and bring before you our concerns. We ask for your guidance as we think about the mystery of prayer freely offered to us all. Amen. Our theme throughout most of October and November is prayer. And this evening, my focus is only on one aspect of prayer, the element known as petition or intercession, basically asking God for help with something. Last week, we were thinking about using prayer to thank God. And in future weeks, we will look at other components of prayer. I say this at the start just in case anyone thinks my comments are a bit unbalanced because prayer is very much more than just asking God for things, even though that's what I'm focusing on tonight. The heading of our third reading from Luke's Gospel is sometimes given as the parable of the unjust judge. Other people refer to it as the parable of the persistent widow. Now, I plan to share a few thoughts about the widow in a few minutes, but I'd like to start with some comments about the judge. As the judge is usually referred to as the unjust judge, I thought that an appropriate starting point might be trying to identify the difference between an unjust judge and a just judge. In other words, what is justice? It seems to me that we can turn on the television any day of the week and hear of someone going to court declaring that all they want is justice. And at first, that might seem reasonable enough, until we remember that it's not uncommon to hear someone from the other side of the same case saying the same thing. All they want is justice. And that's the situation before the case is heard. After the decision has been made by the judge or by the jury, inevitably the representative of at least one side will declare that the outcome is a travesty of justice. In other words, for each side, the just judge is the judge who sides with them, which when we think about it must be nonsense. So to me, the aim of a just judge 
is to apply the same rules to someone today as he or she applied yesterday and he or she will apply tomorrow. Justice is about consistency, about equitable treatment according to the law. Whether we think the law is a good law or a bad law, it's the same law for everyone. No one is above the law. But according to our reading from the Old Testament, justice is not an end in itself. It's only our starting point to good behavior. As we heard, Micah asks, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy? Mercy is at the other end of the spectrum from justice. Mercy involves looking at the particular circumstances of an individual and reaching a decision which is uniquely sensitive to them. So sometimes when I hear about someone complaining about the outcome of a court case, about not getting what they call justice, they're mainly aggrieved they didn't get enough mercy. They didn't get enough attention given to their special circumstances. They didn't get enough mercy. So according to Micah, a good judge is not one who applies the laws rigidly without taking any account of personal circumstances. Justice without mercy can't be any good. But equally, a judge who's totally swayed by individual circumstances to the point where no one has any idea beforehand what the outcome might be, such a judge may be merciful, but hardly acting justly. So there needs to be some sort of balance if someone is to be a good judge, applying the rules with justice and then decreeing an outcome that reflects mercy. Which brings us back to Micah. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So a good judge will try to balance justice and mercy and will constantly reflect on the need to keep trying to get the balance right. A good judge will never think that she or he has reached perfection in being a good judge. Being a judge is not a status to be enjoyed, but a task to be undertaken. A good judge walks humbly with her God. And so with this benefit of the wisdom from Micah, Let's think about the parable relayed to us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And as you might have gathered, I prefer to refer to this parable as the parable of the bad judge. First of all, we can consider his actions against the measure of justice. Did he treat today's widow in line with the same rules as someone seeking the same treatment yesterday and tomorrow? Clearly not. We are told the judge in the parable provided a remedy for the widow simply because the widow had become too irritating. Another widow tomorrow, who may be less persistent, would probably get no remedy. And there's clearly no justice here. Secondly, did the judge in the parable provide mercy? At the time of Jesus, widows were particularly vulnerable. 
with few rights would pit it against male members of the family. But the judge didn't make his decision based on the widow's comparative needs and the implications for her children. Another impoverished widow tomorrow, with perhaps an even more deserving case for mercy, would probably not get a sympathetic hearing. So there's absolutely no indication of mercy either. Then we come to walking humbly, to undertaking the task conscientiously and self-critically. We're told explicitly that he didn't fear God and didn't care whether or not people thought he was a good judge. He had no concept of undertaking a difficult role for the benefit of society. He just liked the status of being a judge. So by all of the three measures identified by Micah, St. Luke presents us with a caricature of a thoroughly bad judge. If we apply the tests of Micah to the judge, he fails on all counts so spectacularly that there might appear to be few learning points for us at all in the parable. But maybe the challenge is not posed for the judge, but for the petitioner, for the widow, for ordinary members of the community, for you and for me. Rather than pointing at the bad judge, let's focus instead on the widow and ask in the words of Micah, what does the Lord require of you? The clue was in the introductory words. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. We're asked to consider this parable in the context of prayer. And my proposal is that we might think about the story of the widow in the context of prayer through the lens of the words of Micah. What does the Lord require of you? So first of all, justice. As I suggested earlier, there is a tendency for everyone going to court to believe that their perspective is the only perspective with any merit. The only acceptable justice is the decision in their favour. So I pray to God to give me what I want, even if that means another person doesn't get what she wants. Lord, please may I win the lottery because I've wasted a lot of money recently. Lord, please may I get top grades in my exams even though I didn't study very hard. Or the words of the widow, grant me justice against my adversary. So we need to remind ourselves that we don't know anything about the relevant law applicable to the widow or the case of the adversary. The adversary may have had an equally strong case as the widow, or even a much better case. But the widow was remarkably single-minded. She kept coming back with her plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Justice is only for me. Meanwhile, the adversary may well be making exactly the same prayer. Grant me justice against the adversary. So what can we do? We might have heard the answer in our reading from the Gospel of Matthew. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To me, this is saying, give us what we need rather than what we want. Because justice from the heavenly perspective of your kingdom on earth may not be the same as justice from my limited understanding, from my warped perspective. Or in the words of the song we just sung, seek ye first the kingdom of God. When I was a kid, my grandmother was very uncomfortable with the concept of luck. So she would never say to me, good luck in your exams. Instead, she would say, may you do yourself justice. And perhaps she was right. When we pray, asking God to do something, we must try to remember how narrow is our understanding and how wide is God's understanding. And God's way forward may be a bit different from my limited understanding of the right way forward. So when we pray, God asks us to try to minimize our selfishness of perspective and to think about potentially competing claims for so-called justice. Moving on to mercy, we're told that the widow's plea to the judge was for justice, and I've argued that it's likely that application of the law in line with the principle of justice is that she should probably lose her case. It's unlikely, it is likely that only a perverse and inconsistent application of the law would benefit her. So the probability is that she was really seeking mercy rather than justice. But if her case was really for mercy, there are no signs that her appeal for mercy was being well articulated. We're told she kept demanding justice. My case is that, in accordance with the law at that time, the application of justice was likely to be that the widow would lose her case. So her best hope is a plea for mercy. And an appeal for mercy would need to be framed very differently. Perhaps she might learn from those who said to Jesus, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. A good judge could be more influenced by a case made on behalf of the widow's children, for example. So once we move from a focus on justice to a focus on mercy, it's easier to prioritize those with greatest need. In this context, prayers for myself might become almost an afterthought. My children or my parents may have greater needs than I do. And bringing to God in prayer the children or elderly people in other towns, in other countries, may come more into perspective. And inevitably, this leads to prayers for social justice. So praying for myself doesn't get dropped off the list. It just becomes part of a longer list. As Jesus said, when we pray, we might say, give us this day our daily bread. We are holding in prayer the needs of those of whom we are aware. We are asking God to have mercy on all his people as we bring before him the needs of which we are aware. And these are needs, not wants. These are prayers for mercy, not demands for a lopsided distortion of justice. Finally, we are told by Micah that we are expected to walk 
humbly before God. But in prayer, we often act as if we are the dominant party in the relationship. It's interesting how easy it is to forget the message of walking humbly before God. When we pray for something, we sort of forget this humble thing. We are going to tell God what he must do. I want this, and I want that, and I want everything now. And if by tomorrow I haven't got what I asked for, I'll be asking why not, and I'll be asking again. In other words, we don't even have the patience of the persistent widow, and she was formidable enough. We act as if there was a competition to be named as persistence personified. The widow repeated her demands and again and again until she drove the judge to distraction. Surely that's not walking humbly before God. Our reading from St. Matthew's Gospel reminds us that prayer should be a calm, quiet conversation rather than a one-sided shouting harangue. Verse 6 of Matthew 6 records these words of Jesus. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. Verse 7 says, do not keep on babbling. Verse 8 says, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So persistence in asking is certainly not required in order to be heard. But what then can we make of the words with which Luke begins the parable of the persistent widow? Jesus told them this parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. To me, the message is that we don't need to be persistent for our needs to be recognized, but we do need to be persistent in maintaining our relationship with God through prayer. If we are to have any hope of fathoming the answers to our prayers. In the words of an old hymn, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. The parable concludes by noting that God cares immeasurably more than a bad judge for, quote, his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, and he will see that they are looked after. If against all the odds, a bad judge can sometimes provide help. The parable encourages us to have confidence that a good God will certainly always be mindful of the needs of his people. But just because we don't get exactly the help we want, when we want it, we are told to always pray and not give up. And that's how I think we can square the circle of being persistent in our prayers of petition and walking humbly in our relationship with God. We're just asked to have faith. I don't pretend to understand prayer, but I do believe that something happens when we hold someone in prayer, when we tell God about our concerns for someone or some issue. God already knows about the person and the issue and so God doesn't need persistent reminders. God doesn't need persistence as an essential component of prayer. But we need persistence as an essential component of prayer. 
we need persistence in fostering the development of the tripartite relationship between the person praying, the person being prayed for, and God. So somehow, through the mystery of prayer, humility and persistence can blend productively together. In this sense, there is sense and comfort in the words of Luke's gospel with which the parable is introduced. We should always pray and not give up. So have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. To find out more about what we do, head across to our website, www.northernlightsmcc.org.uk.